Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us for episode 12 of the Marketing AI Show. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to tell you about our AI for CMOs series sponsor, Persado. Designed for data-driven leaders, Persado's AI content generation and decisioning platform unlocks enterprise growth through language personalization at every customer touchpoint. Persado leverages the power of AI and machine learning to generate content, surface deep customer insights, and personalize language at scale for results that will transform your business. Learn more at persado.com. That's P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show. I am joined today by John Doherty, Chief Marketing Officer with Brighton Jones. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks, Paul. Awesome to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. John and I have traded some emails and, and had a little banter before. There's just so much to get into today. So I'm really looking forward to it. And this episode is part of a new AI for CMOs series that's presented by Persado, one of our big corporate partners and one of the longtime supporters of what we're trying to do at Marketing AI Institute. So the idea behind the series is to tell the story of AI and digital transformation through the experiences of CMOs from diverse backgrounds, diverse industries, diverse experiences, just like knowledge and capabilities around AI, but the people who are leading the charge within their organization. They may just be leading the charge to educate people. It might be leading the charge to pilot it and actually like get some projects going. Or in some cases, a bigger enterprise, it might be leading the charge to scale it. Because what we know is that while AI is uniformly across every research report forecasted to have trillions of dollars of annual impact, that's an abstract thing to think about. You know, it's like trillions of dollars, a lot. But what we know is most marketers are just starting to explore it. And they're starting to try and understand the impact AI can have on their careers. You know, what knowledge do they need to know to stay relevant or to get ahead in their careers? And then how can they apply it to their businesses? How can they actually get started with it? And so the idea behind this series is like, let's go talk to the CMOs who are thinking about this stuff, sort of the the leaders in the industry who are starting to go through it and see how hard it might be or, you know, find the successes, find the challenges and tell their stories. And so that's what we're going to do today with John is take an inside look at what it's been like for him to lead this at Brighton Jones, the lessons he's learned and maybe some of his background at Microsoft prior to that. So, John, to get us started, I loved a response you gave me in an email when we first started talking about this. You said the learning curve has been steep when I asked you about AI adoption, though we have unified data, resolved IDs, integrated personalization into a new site and achieved some goals, some other goals. The experience has been humbling and far more difficult than anticipated. I would describe myself as a respectful practitioner as opposed to an expert. I loved that paragraph. I hope you don't mind me sharing it. But what did you mean by that? Was someone with your background to say, I'm not the expert, like, but I'm trying. Like, What did you mean when you said that to me? Yeah. In my career, I've been really fortunate. I've been able to take on some really big challenges and I actually have a technical background. And so I just anticipated this would be another big initiative, but it probably is the most complicated I've ever done. And it's a couple of things. First of all, it's the different layers to it. And first, you've got to get data right, obviously. And then AI, I mean, it's really pretty new. You know, it's like the last 10 or 15 years is really when it's been commercial. 
And so it's just figuring out how to apply it for our business. And then last there is, you know, how do you actually activate based on it? And all three pieces are really complicated in and of themselves, but then you also need to get, you know, a team of people internally on board and, you know, and galvanized. And I'm really fortunate and I work someplace with a very collaborative culture that's a really innovative workplace. And so all the pieces are there, but even with a great team that's, you know, excited and well-resourced, it has still been a just really difficult every step of the way. I will say though, that I think I've finally had a peek over the horizon and the potential is awesome. This is definitely the direction, at least our business is going to go, which where personalization and very high client satisfaction is, you know, the essence of our business. Yeah, there's a ton of paths to go down there. Why don't you start and give us a little background on Brighton Jones? What does the organization do? You know, as you talk about personalization, understand the kind of personalization you're trying to do there. It's this really innovative company. And it's one of the reasons why I left Microsoft is because I think it's the future of financial services. You know, some investment companies help with investments and then some investment companies help with investments and planning. Like Brighton Jones was founded with investments, planning, and whole balance sheet management. So that means any asset, any liability we manage. So individuals, right? Like wealth management for individuals. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. individuals. And so we look at a person's, you know, we call it their entire balance sheet. And so we factor in, you know, any private investments, funding for their kids' education, their executive benefits, just anything that brings complexity to somebody's financial life, we manage it. We have this, you know, these teams with in-house experts, we have in-house CPAs, in-house tax lawyers, in-house estate attorneys. So anything somebody needs, we could do through an in-house experts. We take care of everything. And this new initiative we're launching is, and we call that beyond the balance sheet. I'd say a very small part of the industry is offering that now. We're taking it to one more level, which we call beyond the balance sheet. And that's helping people align their time and money with their passions and purpose. A lot of people think, oh, if I get a lot of money, I'll be happy. And what a lot of people find is they get a lot of money and they get complexity and they're less happy. And so there's really this extra, like the foundation is great financial management, but you've got to go beyond that to actually figuring out what you can do with that money to align with your values, what really matters to you. So we're getting- Make it more fulfilling, basically. You know, yeah, I love that. That's what our clients say. But the thing is, all of the weight of offering that service has been on our client service teams. And so it's been the lead advisors, the associates, you know, the analysts, the managers, they've had to bear that weight just through their personal knowledge of the client. And so what we're starting to do is collect the data and learn the AI and the automation. And so that personalization can be automated. Obviously, it's not a niche per se, but like with wealth management individuals, but what John's talking about here is understanding your customer at a very deep level and letting all the data tell a story that can then be used to personalize their experience. And you can do that in any business, in any industry, the same principles hold true. That's right. So our lead advisors, they just don't have sight lines into the hundreds of attributes that you know are lie in our data and that our AI looks at. And so we can really better provision you know, our client service teams to serve their clients in countless ways. And so it's we're really taking personalization to the next level through, you know, our AI initiative. We call it data culture, hashtag data culture, or we refer to it as, you know, data AI automation sometimes, you know, just in internal papers. But our core offering is about personalization and alignment. And by 
really developing data, AI, and automation, we're, we're better able to do that. Let's dig into your background a little bit, because I'm kind of fascinated on a couple of elements here. So the first is your undergrad from Notre Dame was computer applications and economics. How did that get you to a chief marketing officer role? It's not a common thing I see when I look at CMO backgrounds. I spent about 10 years at agencies and about 10 years at Microsoft. And that quantitative piece always helped because over my career, you know, digital's become more important. And so just the more you can dig into the numbers on that, the better view of reality you have and the better result you get. And at Microsoft, I led audience marketing for Windows worldwide. And again, it was just in that organization, it was super important to show ROI. And so that quantitative background is really beneficial. Talk to me about Microsoft. This is one of the paths I wanted to go down. One, you crossed over at Windows with a mutual friend, Christy Olson, who's been on the show and is one of my favorite people. She's just amazing. I remember working with Christy. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, we could just talk about Christy for 20 minutes if we wanted to. (laughs) Go check out Christy's episode. If you're new to the podcast, check out Christy. She's fantastic. I did listen to that episode. (laughs) I agree. I thought it was wonderful. So you were at Microsoft at a very interesting time in the development of artificial intelligence. And so people who aren't familiar with the timeline, AI is not a new thing. It's been around for 70, 80 years as a concept. But there was some pivotal moments in the last like 11 to 12 years with deep learning, the ability mainly for machines to do language generation, computer vision. And we're seeing that everywhere in our lives today from, you know, Gmail finishing sentences to you know, opening phones with your face to, you know, integration of GPT-3 and, you know, language generation for marketers, like all of that stuff, voice assistance, all of these things became possible largely in the last nine years. So you were at Microsoft from 07 as a creative marketing manager to 2016, where you left as senior director of marketing. Was AI being talked about within the walls of Microsoft applied to marketing at that time? I know they were working on language and I know they were applying it to Windows as a product, but were they thinking about it in marketing terms at that point? No, it was baked into the products. And so marketing talked about the benefits of it as opposed to thinking about, you know, the engineering components that made the benefit possible. Okay. And we were trying to really convey, you know, clear, simple messages on differentiated benefits. You know, some of those were definitely based on AI, but to answer your question, no, holistically, but yes, indirectly. Yeah, it's just like there's a great book called Genius Makers by Cade Metz, who who's also we have an episode coming up with Cade Metz on the podcast. But he tells the story of the development of AI in many ways through the lens of Microsoft, Google, Amazon, like some of the big players, DeepMind. And so they, you know, they talk about Microsoft working on AI back in the early 2000s and trying to do with Word within Windows, like doing language technology. And so I just like I know Microsoft has a very deep history in trying to develop AI. And it's always fascinating to know when did it really become a thing, like to the wider organization versus like this engine that kept trying to be built behind the scenes, basically. I read that book and I bought a copy for our, our CEO and yeah. gave it to him just because because he's very forward looking. He's a visionary. And one of the things that book shows is companies that successfully deploy AI just pull ahead. Yep. It's a sustainable strategic advantage. Yep. And so I, I thought that book was fascinating. I mean, in terms of the detail and also, like you said, AI has been around for a long time, but it hasn't been commercial that long. Correct. And it was just the convergence of, you know, the hardware, like having hardware that's accessible, that's powerful enough, along with the right 
models that are effective enough. Yeah. And to your point, kind of moving into the Brighton Jones days, the data, like we needed more data. We needed the compute power to process that data. So you joined Brighton Jones 2016 from LinkedIn in the VP of marketing role. It talks about lead strategy and execution, segmentation, automation, creative strategy, online marketing. So content strategy, brand architecture, as any CMO knows, and even the VP level, you're touching a lot of areas. So in those early days at 2016, were you thinking about intelligent automation of that stuff? Were you thinking about ways to apply AI? Or were you just trying to like take traditional brute force and get the traditional technology and try and do the basics there? Yeah. And back, you know, so when I first joined, it was definitely the latter. So the brute force, but Again, there AI was baked into some products. So, like you know, Intercom, our chatbot uses natural language processing, and yep. we use Course AI now, which also has you know, which is it basically records Zoom calls and yep. then analyzes the content. So, um, real quick so, there, so people might be familiar with like Otter.ai is used on Zoom. It's like baked into Zoom. So, if you get a transcript of a call, that's actually using Otter.ai. You're saying you have an AI that not only takes that transcription, but analyzes what's in that transcription. Yeah. Yeah. What it does is it looks at, you know, how much we talked, how much the other person talked, what words came up the most, what the longest monologue was. And then it assesses the call, like what can we do better? And it's all just in the pursuit of adding more value, you know, just understanding both existing and potential clients better. And to me, that is what AI is ultimately just, it's like machine enhancing our ability to understand something and our better understanding the probability that something will happen. It's just a better view of reality, both now and forward looking. Really well said. I agree. It's just additive technology. Because if you take that, it's such a great use case. Say you had a thousand calls that you had to previously analyze, there would have been a human doing that. Like someone would have actually gone through all these transcripts and tried to identify this stuff. So it's almost like a function that couldn't have even existed prior that you can now scale across every phone call and have all this rich information that you as a CMO can act on that data. Like you, it's insights that you can actually make tomorrow, start making relationships better based on this information that you just didn't have previously. Yeah, and it makes the call a better experience because rather than taking copious notes, the person can really focus on who they're talking to. Right. Because the notes are, to your point, are being transcribed. So it's better in a lot of different ways. So... There's all these areas you touch even now today as the CMO with segmentation and automation and branding and digital media and events and messaging and inbound marketing. And again, like every CMO, there's lots of areas you're involved in. So outside of this call transcription and analysis, what are some other areas where you're seeing AI bring benefits to like the personalization and experiences of your customers? Yeah, I think there's a couple of big areas. And the first is just like personalized orchestrated journeys. And so we we look at an audience and then we figure out a bunch of experiences that are you know relevant to that audience. And then we have a target audience. And so we want somebody who's MQL to become a sales accepted lead. And so we use AI to orchestrate a personalized journey, you know, to get somebody from MQL to you know sales accepted lead. And so we use our CDP for, you know, orchestrated personalized journeys. Obviously we do segmentation, which is finding groups that are homogeneous, distinct, and actionable that we otherwise wouldn't see. And when you're looking across hundreds of attributes, you're just going to find stuff that you otherwise couldn't find. 
we do predictive modeling. And so we try to figure out who would be willing, who wants to join one of our community impact circles. We would figure out who do we need to call regard to, with to our investment philosophy? Like who do we feel like we should update on our investment philosophy? And then last storytelling, and that's using natural language processing across all of our articles before we thought about it in terms of keywords. And that's like a really human construct, a human construct to help get the results that you want in Google. Whereas um, natural language processing looks at affinities. And so before we would say, oh, you know, 529, but like there would be several affinities in that. One would be education, funding my kids' education or caring about my kids. So like affinities are very different than, you know, keywords. And then you combine that with predictive modeling. Once you know what affinities are in an article, and once you know what affinities somebody has, you can match make. You can make sure you're only serving people the articles that they want to see. And so it's just better storytelling. Those are the big buckets. I know we'll use it more for measurement later. Honestly, we just haven't been able to get into it because we are still very, very early. And I just want to emphasize this experience has been humbling. The learning curve is steep. The learning curve has a long, 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 long way to go. Every week is a new gotcha, but I think we finally turned a corner and it's like where I realized the investment is going to be well worth it. It's going to really take us to a level that honestly, I just don't think our competitors can go. So it's going to give us this, this real advantage. And I love you know how you frame that, that you know you listen to that list of all the ways you're using it. And there might be some CMOs or marketers listening that are just like, wow, like they're so far ahead of where we are. Like, I'm still trying to understand what natural language processing is. But I think your point is so well taken that you're still so early and everyone is still so early. You're approaching it from a, a really smart perspective where you're thinking about the outcomes you're trying to achieve. Like you're thinking about the consumer or the customer and saying, how do I personalize that experience so we create value at every stage of their journey? How do I predict behaviors and outcomes so we adapt things we're recommending to them to drive an intended action that creates more value for them. And that's your point earlier about like, it's really about prediction. Your predictive modeling sounds kind of like a geeky term. All it's saying is like, we're just trying to predict a behavior or an action or an outcome. And so there's ways AI can help you build these models to try and predict what a specific cohort or specific group may do. And then that helps you rather than a traditional persona project of like, Let's go write a you know three-page brief on what this person looks like and use SAMHSA LinkedIn things. And then like we have these three personas and then our entire content strategy is based on these three personas, which may only make up like 5% of your actual audience. Like AI helps you identify almost a bunch of hundreds potentially of micro personas. And that's the key is like to do personalization, three personas isn't going to do anything for you. You have to understand these people and what creates value for them, where their pain points are, and what their needs are. In real time. Yeah, in real time. On, on click. Yeah. So two things I want to follow on with that is One is CDP. I know you've mentioned how important that is. So talk to me a little bit about the importance of the CDP early on and like what it is and what goes into building a valuable one for marketers that maybe aren't that far along yet with their understanding or adoption of a CDP as a foundation. Yeah, it was critical for us. And we we looked at like different technology tools. We looked at, you know, marketing hubs. We looked at different packages that did everything. And then we decided to go just with kind of best of class product. And so we went with, you know, a CDP that's designed for specifically for marketing. And 
the first stage was just to unify data from Salesforce, Marketo, our website, like our phone system, just, you know, a lot of different sources. And that's a march. We're still getting data. We found that we had to do a lot of work to get the data right. So for instance, we found that we were sending the CDP a lot of administrative activity from Marketo, a lot of operational activity from Marketo. And so like Marketo was updating records and the CDP thought a client had done something, whereas really it was just Marketo reconciling with something else. And so we had to get all of that noise out because we were like wildly misleading, you know, our CDP. And then we had to get, you know, noise up from other sources. And then we arrived at this point where like we knew all the data in was well-formed. And then it was just resolving data. Like we found out that, you know, clients had emails that we didn't know they had. And they were on a bunch of different devices. And so we had to resolve all those things. So we understood like holistically what a client was doing across all of their touch points. And then the next thing, so the data is going to be a constant effort. I mean, there it's going to be, relentless and if anything well, who owns that on your team just out of curiosity like is that a specific role or is that someone trained in a specific area to do this so we have somebody on the team who led in terms of marketing automation and then they took this on and so somebody you know internal who's done a phenomenal job getting the data well formed he's partnered with our you know salesforce administrator and they've been a and then our vp of it and i mean the team has just been awesome move fast been tenacious got but every week there's a challenge and so like all the data that's in now is real data, but we're realizing we need to get, you know, more data in to get the level of effectiveness that we want. And then the next level is analysis. So it's like using the AI built into the tool to do, you know, segmentation. And the CDP is really integrated into our website and we're going to integrate it into our email. And so then the third piece is activation. And it's just crazy, like the degree of service we can provide with personalized one-to-one activation, as opposed to one size fits all or to your points, you know, segmented or, you know, by persona. And so those are like the three big pieces. I feel like we've got a good data foundation and we need to do a lot more. Like we're working with data scientists to learn about AI. For instance, we have developed, we've got a behavioral score for engagement. And like the data scientist point of view is like, you should only look at data that's three months old. Whereas other behavioral scores, they think, you know, we can look back indefinitely. Like some, there's a behavioral score for the totality of somebody's activity. Obviously, you need to look back as far as you have data. And so we're, we're learning things. Like on some behavioral scores, you have some windows. Other behavioral scores, you don't have any. So that's an example of, you know, something that we've learned. We've learned that we don't put any like PII or we don't put in any PII or we'd never share the content of an email, but we want to know like if an email was sent to a client because, you know, that would affect the engagement score. And so the CDP wouldn't know what the email was about, but it would know that an email went out. So to get effective engagement scores, we need to include email. We need to include, you know, Zoom. So we had to figure out how to get like structured Zoom data into the CDP. And that's something like we're doing now or we'll, you know, do in the next week or two. So Again, there's there's no end to either the work that needs to be done or the potential things that we can do. We try to end three use cases every quarter. Okay. And so like one use case would be personalized email. And so the articles that somebody would see within the email would be personalized on click. We also can have personalized content in line on the website. So a copy block somebody would see would depend on 
if they're in an audience or if it was based on an affinity. And then there's also modals. And so, you know, you can slide something out or roll something down after three seconds based on who somebody is. And so those, those are the sorts of use cases that we implement. And so I go like at Brighton Jones, our structures, we have people in charge of getting clients. And then another category is keeping clients and then getting people and keeping people. And so I am really tightly aligned with our, the folks in charge of keep, get, keep, get, and to figure out, you know, what use cases to roll out each quarter. One thing I really want to emphasize is I think privacy is going to become a way bigger deal than it is. And so I think that's the the potential for AI endless, but I think the other shoe is going to be privacy. And so like, we're getting ahead of that now. Like we're building first party data. We're not using third party data and we're really tuned to understanding. We really listen when people tell us how they want us to use their data. I think data AI automation can be done in a way where it's respectful of privacy and it adds huge value. I think the inverse is true too. I think like companies can exploit it and those companies who like they don't add value to the client, but they really exploit the data. I think those companies could give everybody a bad name. So as marketers, we need to be ahead of it. And we I need to couldn't agree more. We're actually at our marketing AI conference in August. We're going to have a workshop on responsible AI, like an optional pre-conference workshop or a three-hour workshop where you're going to go in and learn about these exact issues, privacy, first-party data having a framework for responsible AI application within your organization, because I feel like it's maybe the most important thing we need to be talking about, but because so few marketers even understand AI and its potential, they don't know to care yet about responsible AI. And I think people like you pushing that conversation is critical because that's been our feeling from day one. Like in 2019 at our first marketing AI conference, I had a panel on the main stage on ethics of AI because I, my thing is like, I'm going to force feed it to you. Like, this isn't going to be a breakout. You're not going to have a choice to go to this one. This is a main stage thing because you have to expose yourself to these challenges because our whole premise with the conference is more intelligent, more human. Yes, we can make marketing better and we can make it smarter and faster. But if we don't make it more human in the process, if you don't use personalization to create better relationships and not take advantage of people because you have your, their data, then we're doing this for nothing. It's just all we're doing is giving people hacks to do marketing cheaper and get rid of the talent. And that's not why I'm doing it. <laughs> and I could tell that's, you know, you have a similar background philosophy. It's like, this can go wrong. And once you understand the power of AI and its potential, you also understand how there can be bad actors in its application. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I'll go to that session. I'm sure I have a lot <laughs> to learn and it's super important. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of quick things I want to touch on. You mentioned other areas of the organization that you're working with. So data science and IT, just kind of touch on that. Like what is the role they're playing in your roadmap and, and vision for where you need to apply AI? And, you know, are there any other areas of the organization that you're working with that are enabling the adoption and scaling of AI? Yeah. So we're bringing a data scientist on board now. We've been okay. doing home cooking up until now. Okay. And so that's really going to accelerate some of our efforts. Our tech team, you know, leads implementation of these big tools okay. and is critical into getting the data into the tools and then making sure it's it's accurate and well-formed. There are no seams. I mean, it's like marketing, like the tech team really and the marketing team really are working on the same stuff. It really bleeds over. You know, we're always working with client service to better understand clients and to better understand what use cases we can bring to market 
you know, we work really closely with finance and then other parts of the marketing team, you know, obviously demand gen automation, it really just kind of permeates everywhere. Do you see new roles emerging? Like this is something I've thought about. We wrote about it in our upcoming book a little bit. It was more theoretical, like three years, five years from now, do you see roles existing in a marketing structure that don't even exist today related to AI? Like an AI ops, for example, that's just working with different divisions and departments and analyzing the outcomes, analyzing the needs of you know the stakeholders and finding ways to drive efficiency through AI. Are there roles you're envisioning? Yeah, absolutely. They think you're way ahead of the game. I think that's definitely coming. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've even been researching. I'm like, well, what are the roles? Like, and what I'm seeing in big enterprises is conversational AI. I've actually seen quite a few people with that in their title because it does seem like an entry point to a lot of bigger enterprises is conversational. I've seen some personalization roles that are having AI integrated into the title because there's those obvious entry points of personalization, automation, like you said earlier, this was someone working on automation. So it was a natural extension that they try and find more efficient ways to do automation. And so I think you're going to have this evolution of some titles, like people in analytics backgrounds, personalization, automation. But then I think there's whole new roles. I've seen creative AI titles, like people are like director of creative AI, where they're, I assume, finding ways to integrate language and vision technology into the development of creative. Like, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but I don't know. I'm fascinated by that. What is the org chart of the future look like? And I don't know of an organization that's got the model right now. I think it's just developmental for everybody. Yeah, no, I agree. I think like at least my experience, and I'm sure people have had experiences to the contrary, but my experience was, you know, 20 years ago, the leader of the marketing organization was the creative and they would go into the tabernacle and come out with a vision. And then, you know, the TV team would turn it into an at 30 second, and, you know, maybe a 60 second anthem. And then the, you know, out of home team would take that idea and put it on, you know, science and airports. And then the event marketing team would take it to trade shows and kind of lower in the organization was somebody who was trying to analyze the impact of the different tactics. And I think there's been a lot of companies that have struggled with marketing mixed models. I mean, what is the impact of each of these different investments? That was the structure like 20 years ago, but I think that you're going to have to be really technically sound. You know, so the the person before who was doing the spreadsheets trying to figure out how to allocate money and what's working and what's not. I think the person at the top of the organization is going to need that skill. And then I think that AI is going to determine a lot of like the creative direction. And then I think the creative people are going to take like the insights from AI to go build creative. So I think the pyramid's been flipped or it's in the process of being flipped. And I think those new roles you're talking about are, you know, the ones that naturally evolve from that inversion. Yeah, I love there's a great book uh, I always recommend to leaders, like especially CMOs called The Algorithmic Leader. It's by Mike Walsh and it's phenomenal. And his whole premise is what you just said, like you don't have to be able to build the predictive models you just need to know that they can be built and what they can help you achieve. And then you need to know how to find the people to build them. And I see AI in very much the same way. You don't have to understand the eight common machine learning models and you don't have to understand exactly how neural nets work or what they do or everything like that. You just need to know AI is capable of making predictions about outcomes and behavior. And it's capable of having human-like abilities to understand language, generate language, you know, see images, generate images. Like if you understand that much, then you're better off than like 90% of other marketers right now. And now you can start to say, okay, 
who do I need to know on my team? Like who is it the data scientist team? Is it the IT team? Like who should I be pulling in as a CMO to help me create a vision for how we can build greater personalization and performance into our marketing? Yeah, I wrote the name of that book down. I'll definitely check it out. I totally agree. Yeah, it's and like you said, like the people who go get those skills now, three years from now, five years from now, you will be so valuable, <laughs> not only within your organization, but within the industry. Like it's because there aren't a lot of first movers right now. You don't have to have, you know, the background like you have with the undergrad in this area. You can go get this knowledge from a few online courses. Like you can have a fundamental understanding of AI, data science, tech with a few hours invested and then maybe like once or twice a month, you're doing something to enrich that. I love your idea of like three use cases a quarter, like do the same thing for your own education, like three things a quarter, you're going to like read a book, listen to a book, like something to advance you and you're going to be further ahead than your peers. There just aren't enough people doing this stuff right now. Yeah. It really changes the way you work because rather than people on the team talking about, oh, do we have an offer slide out to the slide out from the left after three seconds? Or, you know, when do we present the offer? All of a sudden, you know, the machine's making that decision. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so well, we could talk all day on this stuff. Okay. So you've been going through this now. What is the advice you would give the CMOs who are maybe listening and they're just trying to get started? And, and maybe they don't have the technical background you had, but like, what is the one or two things that you would advise them to really give them a heads up and a leg, uh, you know, a foot forward as they move into this space? Yeah, there's a few things that come to mind. And I heard the cliche that data is the new oil. Yeah. And I, I didn't really internalize it. You know, it, it sounded right. I didn't really think about it too much. But I don't know. Recently, I've begun to understand why that is and that it's true. And so the sooner that you start to unify your data and resolve IDs and just really be able to use it as a tool, the better, you know, just in, and so start with the data strategy and you don't need to figure everything out, but just know that at some point, at some point in the future, you're going to want access to this data. So start now. And so I think that's number one. I think number two is it takes time. Like what I thought we would do in a month, we're doing in a quarter. It's harder. It's harder than I thought. And so really come at it with a you know robust team and a realistic expectation of how long it will take. We did not have that, but luckily we have this culture of continuous improvement and we have a culture of collaboration. So it worked. We were able to move slower and still we were viewing it as a big success, but just really figure out the time. And then last, I've had a lot of big projects where I've written a half a page or one page brief and just got everybody on board was able to figure out stuff along the way. Don't do that with this. <laughs> You'll find every stone in the stream with your shin and it really hurts. Like you really want to have your use cases mapped out beforehand and you want to know what data you need for those use cases and you want to know what models you want to use. You've got to really pay attention to the details. You will be figuring out things as you go. However, you want to understand in detail exactly what you want to accomplish, you know, what your organization needs, and then what data and analysis and activation you need to make that a reality. You've got to have it all mapped out beforehand. Do not go in with this conceptual idea and hope to solidify it as you go. If you want to better serve clients, then you've got to figure out what matters to them. 
And so like, what's your passions, interests, hobbies data? How do you collect that? You know, how can you work with client service so they understand that they can better serve their clients if we collect this data, then how do we collect it? And where do we store it? And structured or unstructured? I mean, you've got to get all that stuff sorted. We did as much as we thought we needed to upfront reasonably, but in hindsight, we would have done a lot more. We would have figured out, we would have really looked at, okay, this CDP has a native integration. What does that mean? Does that mean that it can write household data to the contact level? I mean, that stuff's important, but I didn't know to think about it beforehand. But were we to do it again, I certainly would. That's a great three pieces, but I think the final step is that try and think through the knowns. And if you've listened to this, I think you understand the importance of the data. And if that's not your world and you hear that and you're like, oh, it's like building pivot tables in a spreadsheet. Like I want nothing to do with it. Find the person on your team who does. Like you're going to need that right hand to really help put the data in the right structure and get the right technology partners on board. It might be the technology partners you already have. But I always say like, AI is just smarter technology. You're still trying to solve people's problems. You're still trying to create value. You're still trying to personalize experiences, but there's smarter ways to do it now. And it requires maybe an evolution of your talent internally, maybe an evolution of the technology you're using, but you may have both of those building blocks already. And you might be able to just train your team with some new capabilities and you might be able to leverage your existing tech with features you didn't know that tech offered. And so it's not like blow up your tech stack and blow up your team. That's not at all what John's saying. It's not what I ever preach. It's just like, be strategic about this. Realize the opportunity. Don't give it the half-page brief. Give this the (laughs) weight it it deserves because it can have an outsized impact on your growth and your success. I couldn't agree more with all those things. It's definitely find the person on your team who has a passion for it. And then try to figure out how you can use the technology you have. Absolutely. The reality is you've got all this great data. You just need to, you know, capture it and make some sense out of it. That's like the first big step for sure. Well, John, this has been amazing. It's kind of everything I hope for more with this series is like, you know, I can research this stuff all day long, but I'm not a CMO. Like I'm not living, you know, what you're going through every day. And I think just to hear it firsthand from people like you that can tell the real stories and are willing to be open about the challenges is so valuable to our listeners and our viewers. And so thank you on everyone's behalf for sharing what you've shared with us today. I enjoyed chatting with you. I think you're way ahead. I really do. I think this area is going to blow up. It's just a matter of when. Awesome. Well, this has been the Marketing AI Show. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast if you're curious about AI and want to continue exploring the ways it can transform your business and career. So thank you again to John and thanks for everybody for joining us today. We'll see you soon, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI.